Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. I've discovered that a hopeful life should lead to a holy life. That a hopeful life should lead to a holy life. And that's what Peter does here today. Through verse 12, he's been talking about living a life of hope. And now he transitions. And he says that this hope that we have should cause us to live a holy life. So let's let's begin here in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1. And here's what Peter says. Peter says, therefore. Now, when I was in... uh, Bible college, my um, preaching professor, and um, those that were teaching us how to break down scripture to exegete scripture and all of that said that anytime you see the word therefore, that you're to ask the question, what is it there for? (laughs) So anytime you see the word therefore, ask yourself that question. What is the word therefore there for? Well, Peter, like so many other writers of the epistles, they would always begin their books establishing doctrine. And that's what Peter does in the first 12 verses. Of course, we know that Peter is the author. His audience is to believers of the first century as well as to all of us today. And he described those believers as being strangers, as being scattered. And then last week we saw that they were also believers who were going through a season of suffering. And after he kind of lays the groundwork, identifying himself as the author and identifying the audience of the book, then he, he gets into establishing some doctrine. He said that because of the great mercy of God, that we have been given a new birth. Now, I don't know about you guys. I didn't just need mercy. I needed great mercy. (laughs) I needed great mercy. And God, in his great mercy, has given us, the Bible says, a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from from the dead. Listen, I'm thankful for the cross. I'm thankful for everything that Jesus did at the cross. At the cross, Christ delivered us. He set us free from our sins. But because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, now we have been given a new life. So he didn't just save us from some things. He's also saved us for some things through his resurrection. And and we have a living hope through the resurrection. Mm -hmm. That's really where our hope is anchored is in the resurrection and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, we've been given a living hope through this new birth, through the resurrection of Jesus. And then he talks about an inheritance that that we've been given, inheritance that is is, uh, imperishable, that it's, it's undefilable, that it cannot fade away, that it's being kept, it's been reserved in heaven for us. And so he's establishing here this... This doctrine of salvation, he, he is establishing the, uh, the, the, the basis of our hope. Uh, he, he's giving us the knowledge that we need as, as followers of Jesus Christ. And he even tells us, he even introduces to us the doctrine and, and doesn't necessarily introduce it to us, but he shares with us the doctrine of, 
of uh, suffering. That just as Christ suffered, so are we going to suffer. And, and so Peter, he, he, he talks here about the suffering that the saints of God were going through. And that what gets us through our suffering is the hope that we hang on to. That it's not always going to be this way. Uh, but that there's a better day. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, uh, the best day yet to come. This is not our best life now. Our best life awaits us. And not only that, but he said we can also get through our suffering because we know what suffering produces. It's producing something good in our lives. And then he comes to verse 13 and he says, therefore. In other words, in view of all of this that we've just talked about. We've established doctrine. We've established what we believe about our salvation and where the anchor of our hope is attached to. And so he says, in view of all of this, it's not just enough to, to, to have a knowledge. Now you need to know how to apply that knowledge. It's not just about doctrine. Now it's about the practical lives that we live as people of hope. And as I said, a hopeful life should live to a holy life. And so here's what he says. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. Now, this is so important. The King James says it like this. Gird up the loins of your mind. What in the world does that mean? (laughs) To gird up the loins of your mind. Well, the picture that we have here is in... The culture that Peter was speaking to, the men would wear these long flowing robes. And in order for them to be able to move quickly into action, in order for them to be able to run without any hindrance, they would have to take the bottom of their robe and pull it up and tuck it in their belt so that they wouldn't get tripped up. And so that's what Peter is talking about here when he says, gird up the loins of your mind or have an alert mind. He's saying, get everything out of your mind that will hinder your progress. Get anything and everything out of your mind that's going to keep you from becoming like Christ. Now, when we're in a season like we're in right now, what is it that tries to invade our minds? What kind of thoughts? Thoughts of worry, thoughts of fear. And Peter is saying no, and and he's just been talking to a group of people that were going through some suffering. Matter of fact, he doesn't just say gird up the loins of your mind and your mind be alert. He also says be sober in your mind. And he's not just talking about there about being, uh, not being intoxicated with wine, even though that is a part of what he means here. But how many of you know that when we're going through suffering, when we're going through difficult times, we can become intoxicated in our thoughts with fear and with worry. And Peter says, no, he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Get rid of any thought, get rid of of anything that would keep or would impede your progress to to Christ-likeness. He says, says, you need to have a sober mind in all of this, to be calm, to be collected. I'm reminded of what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 when he said, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And of a sound mind. You can't have a sound mind and make sound decisions if your mind is full of fear and worry. So you've got to clear your mind of those things. He said, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. And I love this. He said, set your hope. 
Yeah, we're going to talk about holiness today, but the two are connected. Hope and holiness. He said, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Notice now, he tells us where we need to anchor our hope. He said, anchor your hope. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you. Now, now you got to get this. You remember the word God gave me at the beginning of this year, right? Favor. Favor. And not just favor, double favor. 2020 favor. And, And a lot of people have said to me, Pastor, are you sure you heard from God? Because this season we're in right now sure doesn't seem like a season of favor. Hey, but listen, we couldn't get through this season without favor. You see, favor doesn't mean that we're not going to go through difficult times. Favor is what gets us through the difficult times. It's what got Joseph through his difficult times. It's what got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through their difficult times. It's what got Daniel through his difficult times. It's what got Jesus through his difficult times. Was the favor, the grace of God. And we don't just need favor in this season we're in. We need double favor to get us through this. So we presently are experiencing the grace of God. We are presently experiencing the favor of God. But notice, he said, we need to set our hope on the grace that is to be brought to us. I mean, I think about favor that comes just through our salvation. I think about the favor that comes through sanctification. But think about the favor that he's bringing us. When Jesus returns, he's bringing us glorification. (laughs) Woo, that's good stuff right there. And he said we need to set our hope on the favor, on the grace. Talk about favor. We're talking about being in glorified bodies. Favor, never going to be sick again. Favor, never going to have any sorrow again. Favor, never going to have any more tears. Favor, never any more death. Favor, sin is not going to be any longer. That is what I call favor. Yes, the favor of God is good right now. But the best of God's favor is yet to come. Amen. And he said to set your hope on the grace, the favor to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Let me ask you this. Not just to these on the stage, but to everybody watching me today. Do you believe Jesus is coming soon? And is your hope anchored in the truth that Jesus is coming soon? Now listen, if so, that should affect your way of living here on this earth. Somebody asked me, so pastor, what is holiness anyway? Well, the word holy means to be different. And as Peter described us, we are strangers on this earth. When the pagan world, when the unbelieving world looks at us and the life we live, they do think we're strange, we're different. But not only that, it also means to be set apart, that God has a a specific calling and purpose and plan for our lives, and we have been set apart for that. You go back to when they built the tabernacle, every article in the tabernacle was anointed and was holy. It it wasn't to be used for anything other than for the purpose of God. So the word holy does mean different. It does mean to be set apart. But here's what I believe holiness is. It's living every day as if Jesus could come back today. Now let me ask you, if you lived every day as if Jesus could come back today, would that change how you live your life? 
You better believe it would change how you live your life. And Peter is saying we should live every single day of our lives as if Jesus could come back today. I guarantee you we'd live holy lives (laughs) if we knew that he was coming back today and we're to live that way. And then we go to verse 14 and notice what he says in verse 14. He says, as obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Notice, he says when you come to Jesus Christ, when you have been born again, when the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you, it ought to change the way you live. You're no longer disobedient children. You are now children of obedience. And and, and not just children of obedience when you feel like it, or not just children of obedience on good days, but but. He's talking about a habitual life of being an obedient child of God. And he's comparing here what our life was like before we met Christ to what our life is supposed to be like now that the Holy Spirit resides on the inside of us and is doing his work of holiness. So he said, as children of obedience, he said, do not conform to your evil desires. And boy, don't you know wow. that this unbelieving world is doing its best to press in on us and get us to conform to this world. That's why Paul said in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Amen. Then you will be able to prove what is the perfect and the acceptable will of God. You cannot glorify God and be conformed to this world at the same time. And he says it this way. He says, do not be conformed to your evil desires. Don't give in to your evil desires. Don't give in to your flesh. And then he goes on and says that you had, that you had, notice past tense, when you lived in ignorance. Now I'm just going to tell you, before the Holy Spirit enlightened us, we all were ignorant. That's not a bad word. It just means that we didn't have a knowledge. The only knowledge that we had of God, guys, listen, and this is where I was for so many years of my life. The only knowledge that I had of God was that God was judgmental and God was critical. And that if I got out of line, God was going to strike me. (laughs) And if I did one little thing wrong, I mean, there would be times I would lay in the bed at night as a child and I would be like, God, if I did anything wrong today, please forgive me. Because if I die in my sleep, I don't want to go to hell. (laughs) That's the view that I had of God. See, I was ignorant. I was spiritually blind. I didn't understand everything I needed to know about God. But but we're not ignorant anymore. We're not spiritually blind anymore. And because of that, we are to be obedient and not giving in, not conforming to our lustful desires. And and then he goes on and, and we get into some of the most powerful passages of Scripture in all of the word of God, because he says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. You see, a hopeful life should always translate into a holy life. Amen. Amen. And he says it this way. He said, but just as he who called you is holy. How many of you know today that God is holy? 
but there is none like him. We just got through singing about this. There is no one like him. There is none beside him. There is none who can compare to God in his holiness, in his power, in his love, in his grace, in his mercy, in his knowledge, in his presence. None can compare. And he says that just as he who called you is holy, so be holy. But, but notice what he says here now. Be holy in everything you do. How can we be holy in everything we do? How can we live a holy life? Well, we can only live a holy life when we are holy. And so therefore he says, it is written. Notice, when Peter needs authority to base a statement on, he goes to the scriptures all the way back to Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. Can I remind you today that all of Scripture is inspired by God? Right. Every bit of Scripture, yes. Old Testament, New Testament. Matter of fact, Peter didn't even have the New Testament when he was writing. All he had was the Old Testament. And so he goes back to the inspired Word of God in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, where it says, Be holy because I am holy. And have you ever noticed that children have a tendency to take on the nature of their parents? They do that. My boys, they've kind of taken on the nature of, of, of Jamie and I. Brian and Tanya, your children have kind of taken on the nature of, of, of you guys. We, we, we take on the nature of our parents. Well, it's the same with God. We should reflect his image. We, we should reflect his nature. Peter tells us in the book of Second Peter, and this is on down the road in the series, but Peter tells us that we are partakers of the divine nature. Right. Now that we are in Christ, that means that whatever God is, we should be. Yes. That we as his children should look like our Father. And our Father is holy, and because our Father is holy, we need to be holy. But as I said at the beginning of this, the only way that we can be holy is when the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. And he's doing a work of holiness that only he can do as we submit to his work. And he goes on and he says, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. It is written. Let me just say something here. We do not study the Word of God just so we'll know the Word of God. I know a lot of people who study the Word of God just so they can argue with you and try to prove their point and their perspective. That's not the reason that we're to study the Word of God, just to get to know the Word of God. Yes, that's one of the reasons, but we study the Word of God to get to know God. We're not just, we're not just getting to know the Word of God. We're getting to know the God of the word amen. Amen? amen so that we'll not be in ignorance so that we can be enlightened that the word of god says god is holy yes. and god in his action proves that he is holy therefore we are to be Hallelujah. holy we're to be different yes. we are to be set apart we are to be living every day as if it's our last day that jesus could come back today yes. amen. Yes. amen amen this is good preaching Hallelujah. this morning <laughs> Yes. And then he goes on to verse 17. And he says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying, in view of the fact 
that as children of God, you call him father. And isn't that an awesome privilege that we have? Jesus said, when you pray, begin your prayers, our father who art in heaven. You see, that's something else you begin to discover about God when you study the word. You discover that not only is he holy, but he's a father. But notice what this father does. Since you call on a father who judges. We don't like that word, do we? Because when we think about a judge, here's what we think about. We think about somebody who's looking for something critical to criticize us for. We, we, we think of somebody that's looking for something bad. For, look, looking for something that doesn't, that doesn't measure up. But you know what? When God judges us, God's not looking for something bad. He's looking for something good. Because he's a good God. And he wants to bless you. And he wants to reward you. And so God looks intently. And God looks impartially because he's trying to find. He wants to find something good for which he can bless you. He wants to find something good for which he can reward you. And he is, he is a judge. But notice he judges us not for our sins. One day we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not the great white throne judgment. That's different. The great white throne judgment is where unbelievers will stand before the Lord and they'll be judged according to their sins and sentenced to hell as a result of that. The judgment seat of Christ is where we as believers stand before the Lord and he judges us and rewards us according to our works and every one of us we're going to be recorded we're going to be rewarded according to our works the Bible refers it to like like all of our works being put into a fire and then that that we did for the right reason that that we did with the right motive that which we did for the glory of God will survive the fire but everything else that was done for the wrong reason everything that was done for the wrong purpose everything that was done that did not glorify God everything that was done from selfish motives all of that's going to burn up in the fire so that all that's left is the real the good the genuine and then God says I'm going to reward you based on that I'm going to reward you based on your works and it says it this way he says since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially because God's not a man man looks at the outward but God looks at the heart and judges accordingly. And so he says, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. In other words, don't ever forget your strangers here on this earth, your foreigners. This is not your eternal dwelling place. You're just a stranger passing through. So live that way. Don't live attached to this world. Our, our vision, our focus is future tense. We're to keep, the, the writer of Hebrews said it like this in Hebrews 12. He said that we're to, we're to lay aside every sin and the weight that so easily entangles us. And we're to run with endurance the race that is before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Because that's what gets us through the difficult times in this life. And that's what affects the way that we live here on this earth. And so he says, since you call on Father, who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Everything that we do, we should do it with the thought of, 
I don't want this to dishonor God. I don't want to do anything that would dishonor God. I don't want to do anything that would offend God. I want to live my life in such a way that it brings glory and it brings honor to him. And then we're going to wrap it up with these scriptures. And you guys know these passages of scripture. He said, for you know, now if there's anything that should motivate holy living in our life on this earth, it should be this next passage that we're going to look at. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed. Thank God for redemption. That word redeemed means to buy back, to pay the price in order to buy back or to buy out of slavery. God told Moses, he said, Moses, don't you ever let those Israelites forget that they were once slaves in Egypt. And you and I, we never need to forget that we were once slaves to sin. That sin had control, complete control of our lives. But Jesus redeemed us. And notice, not with perishable things, not with earthly things, not with things like silver and gold. But notice what he says. He said, "For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. Look at this, from the empty way of life. Let me tell you, that's about the best way to describe life before Jesus. Empty. Empty. In vain. That, that we, the, the Bible tells us this. The Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. Yeah. Do you know what that means? That means nothing temporary will ever satisfy us. That means that nothing temporary will ever fulfill us because God has put eternity in our hearts. And when we look to temporary things to try and satisfy and fulfill us, when we look to those temporary things, it, it's in vain. Those things cannot accomplish what we need accomplished in our lives. Those things cannot do the work of salvation and sanctification and glorification in our lives. It's an empty way of life that was handed down to us, he said, by our ancestors. And, and, And then he goes on and he says this. I love this. He says, for we were redeemed, not with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or without defect in other words it was not something perishable that we were redeemed it was something imperishable it we were redeemed by the precious blood that word precious means treasured that word precious means valued that we were we were redeemed with with the precious blood of Jesus that was that was valuable to God yes. that was a treasure to God and we were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus a lamb a lamb without spot and blemish we go to that doctrine of sacrifice that began all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 you remember when Adam and Eve sinned and God killed an animal and took the skins from that animal and covered Adam and Eve's nakedness a lamb or or an animal had to die and and, and that was a picture of the doctrine of sacrifice You, you see Isaac when Isaac was about to be sacrificed God provided a lamb or a ram to be sacrificed in the place 
of Isaac. We, we, we see that at Passover that they were to have a lamb without spot and blemish and they were to take the blood and put it on the doorpost. Isaiah chapter 53 tells us about Jesus that like a lamb led to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. When Isaac was going up that mountain with Abraham, his father, in Genesis chapter 22, he looked at his father, hun, and he said, Dad, I see that you've got the wood and we have the fire, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And hundreds of years later, John the Baptist would answer that question. When Jesus would come to be baptized, he would look up and see Jesus and say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Amen. A lamb without spot and without blemish. He died in our place. We were the ones who deserved to die. But he died in our place. But the best news is yet to come. Because look at this. It said he was chosen. This lamb, Jesus. He was chosen before the creation of the world. But was revealed in these last times for your sake. You know, we, we have a tendency to think of God first as creator. And then as redeemer. That he created this world, that he created it perfect. But then sin entered into the human race. And as a result of sin, it's been chaotic ever since. And we, we, we many times look at God as a creator. And then when things got out of control, God put together a plan to redeem the world back from its sin. But listen to me. Before God was ever a creator, he was a redeemer. Because notice it says before the creation of the world. This lamb, Jesus, was chosen to be a sacrifice for our sins. So when Jesus went to the cross, listen to me. When Jesus went to the cross, it was not an accident. It was a divine appointment. Amen. And he says that he was chosen before the creation of the world. But he's just now been revealed in these last times for your sake. And then in verse 21, he says, Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and hope are in God. Amen. I want you guys to get ready to close with this song that you've prepared for us. But I want you to to get the impact of this. He said, through Christ, you believe in God. And then he talks about how that God raised Jesus from the dead and glorified him. Therefore, he says, our faith and our hope are in God. Well, the Bible says that it's by grace through faith that you have been saved. So our faith, listen to me this morning. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, all you have got to do today is put your faith in God. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, that Jesus died and that God raised him from the dead and that he's alive today. The Bible says if you'll believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth, that you shall be saved. So it's our faith in God. It's our faith in what Jesus did at the cross and receiving that gift of salvation, that gift of eternal life. It's our faith and our belief in him. Now we know that there's 
We're not saved by our works. We know there's not enough works that we could do to save us. The work's already done, but we receive it by faith. But then notice what he said. He said, not only through Christ have we believed in God, but notice he said that God raised Jesus from the dead and glorified him. So he says, not only is our faith in God, but our hope is also in God. Because what he did for Jesus, he is going to do for every single one of us believers. That he is going to raise us from the dead. And he's going to glorify us. Oh my goodness, what good news that is. And that's why, that's why Peter is telling us that our faith and our hope yes. Yes. is in God yes, today. God. Yes, God. And so if you're watching me this morning, listen, there may be some believers that are watching here today. And maybe this life of hope, because if you say that you're living with hope, then that should show up in the kind of life that you're living. If you're living with hope, you should be living a holy life as if Jesus could come at any moment. So it's time for us to get our hope and our holiness in line with one another, to live as if we are expecting at any moment Jesus to return. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, I want to pray with you today because it's the best decision that you'll ever make. Listen, trying to find hope in anything other than Christ is an empty way of life. It leads to nowhere. It just leaves you more disappointed, more depressed, more discouraged. It's only when you come to Jesus, it's only when you surrender your life to him that you really begin to understand what real hope and what real peace and what real joy and what real love is because he goes on in this chapter and he says this, he says, now that all of this has happened in you, that you should love one another with a sincere love. That you should should love each other with a deep love for one another because, and I love this, he says, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. Now don't let that just drop in one ear and out the other. You see, when we were born the first time, our natural birth, we were born perishable seed. That means we were born perishing. We were born dying. That this body will perish. But when we were born again, we were born of imperishable seed. That means we're going to live forever. To never die. Don't you want that kind of hope today? I want to pray with you right now. Come on. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want you just to repeat these words after me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that on this earth, you lived a perfect, sinless life. I believe that you suffered for me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you were put in a tomb. But I believe that three days later, you rose again. And that today, you are alive. And you are seated at the right hand of God in heaven. And I believe that you are coming again. And I want to be ready for your return. And I want to live 
a holy life on this earth for your glory and for your honor. So, Lord, I believe all of this in my heart. I confess it with my mouth. And, Lord, you said whoever calls on the name of Jesus shall be saved. I'm calling on you, Jesus. I know that salvation can't be not, cannot be found in any other name but the name of Jesus. So Jesus, save me. Save me. Forgive me. I receive the gift of salvation. I receive the gift of eternal life. And the hope that comes with it. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Oh, we thank God for those who have put your hope in Christ today. Amen. And listen, if you just prayed that prayer with me for the first time, or maybe you just rededicated your heart to the Lord, would you let us know there in the comments? Because we'd like to give you some information that's going to help you now that you've started this journey with the Lord. And I've said this before, but if you don't have a Bible, we want to get you a Bible. Because having a Bible is so important as a Christian, but not nearly as important as having a Bible and reading the Bible. Of course, if you have an iPhone or an iPad or something like that, you can, you can download a Bible onto your, your device there. But I encourage you, get into the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Everything the Bible says, everything in this world may be temporary and may perish, but the Word of God endures and stands forever. It is eternal. Amen. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.